Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Thursday, November 1st, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and uh, so you guys know Hurricane Sandy hit the East Coast this week, so we were not able to uh, uh, record a podcast for you, so instead what we're going to bring you is a radio play that actually our Bob Ryer, our host, our co-host, uh, wrote, and that I produced, and that uh, Steve is in, and you hear Jackie from... Uh, Doctor Who cast on there, and it's scary themed. And I thought maybe for Halloween it would be good, and that way you, got, you guys would have something. Um, and we'll be back as soon as we can, bringing you a actual podcast. Uh, so, without further ado, here is the Mind's Eye by Bob Ryer. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. These words, penned by author Howard Phillips Lovecraft, have come to have a great and profound meaning to me. I had only a passing acquaintance with his work before the horror that I'm about to relate, yet it appears that what I took to be trashy pulp literature actually contains the greatest truth humanity will ever encounter. I am setting the story to paper as as a recap of the events of that night, an attempt to recapture the emotions I felt and perhaps find a, a thread I had passed by earlier. I must organize my thoughts, as I need to be precise and persuasive as possible before the court tomorrow. My name is Dr. Edward Robert Matthews, and I am on trial for the murder of my fiancée, Diana Gardner. I have pled not guilty, only so that I can take the stand and make the horrific nature of this lurid tale as public as possible. My story, as it must, begins with Diana. On a late spring afternoon more than 20 years ago, I was leaving the gymnasium of the campus of the State University of New York at Stony Brook. It was after a rather long session of pickup basketball when I saw a young woman sprinting across the lawn. Woman is not description enough. She was a creature of fantasy, an actual vision. I watched as she headed deeper into the campus complex and in a rare impulsive action, I set out after her. Oh, excuse me. Um, I'm not in the habit of speaking to strange women, but... <laughs> well, there's a fine way to make an introduction. Oh, well, I'm sorry. It's just that I, I saw you outside of physics, and well, I know it sounds r- ridiculous, but uh, um, do we know each other? Why? Do you think we're going to? Well, actually, um, I know that we don't, but it's just that, well, you're um, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen on this campus, and... Um, <laughs> Dressed like a ragamuffin. I'm flattered, I guess. No, 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 really, you are. Um, s- sorry, I, I'm obviously uh, not very good at this. <laughs> obviously. But, uh, hello, uh, my name is Edward Matthews. Diana Gardner, at your service. Hey, um, do you think that we could go into the cafeteria and have a, a cup of 
coffee, uh, get to know each other. I already know an awful lot of people, so unless one of them dies, I couldn't possibly know anyone else. Well, if um, one of them goes on the critical list, uh, let me know. <laughs> Quitter. I'd, I'd really, really love to talk to you. Well, my next class is until half four, so I'd say your forthrightness has earned you the chance to buy me a cup of what they jokingly call tea here. We made the usual introductory small talk. She told me she was studying art history, which would soon take her to Europe for an extended time, and I told her of my desire to be a psychiatrist. As the conversation wore on, it was clear that this was a remarkable woman. Clever, funny, and staggeringly intelligent. We chatted for nearly an hour, and as she rose to leave for her next class, she asked if I would be interested in having dinner with her that evening. I answered even before she had finished phrasing the question, and we agreed to meet at 8 p.m. at a rather quaint French restaurant not far from the campus. During dinner, my shyness came to the fore, and I, I struggled to put a coherent sentence together. I launched into some scientific twaddle about dark matter theory or some such. Even I knew it was absolutely mind-numbing. To break the spell, I rose and recused myself to the laboratory, but I returned more quickly than expected due to a long line at the bathroom and discovered Diana had produced a small leather sketchbook and had drawn a rather good portrait of herself yawning. She was quite embarrassed as I glided past her to my chair. Oh, Edward, I'm so terribly sorry. No, I mean, it's... Quite good, um, actually. Very accurate. Um, I, I guess I'm the one who should apologize. Uh, maybe we should order dessert? Edward, truly, I'm... No, no, Diana. You know, actually, I'm just... I'm honored you asked me to dinner. Um, the thing is, I guess we're just... Not from just different worlds. We're from different galaxies. But, uh, I mean, I'm glad we tried. You shouldn't sell yourself short, Edward. You're a good man. You'll make a fine catch for some lucky girl. This brought a smile to her face. One that I would have given all to see for all of my life. After a fine brandy, I walked Diana to her car and offered her congratulations and a safe journey on her European adventure. Memories of that day, and Diana, entered my thoughts occasionally through the years. Generally in those what-if moments. The ones that overtake all of us. I had married, divorced, amicably with no children, and rarely dated after. I had opened a psychiatric practice wellness clinic in New York City, and five years ago, in a visit to the Metropolitan Museum of Art for a Magritte exposition, I was standing in front of the painting The Son of Man when I felt a light touch on my shoulder and heard, Nice hat, isn't it? I have a thing for bowlers. Diana? Good afternoon, Edward. When I walked up to the painting, I thought that was you. If it wasn't, wouldn't I have been embarrassed? My God, you haven't changed. Uh, how long have you been back in the States? Just a few months. I've only been back a handful of times since we last saw each other. But I'll be staying a while this time. I've taken a position here at the Met. Are you living here in the city? Yes, I've sublet an apartment. A whole floor, actually, in an old pre-war on 13th. Isn't rent control marvellous? You sound like a native New Yorker. Uh, my apartment's on 11th. I mean, we're practically neighbours. Well, neighbour, there's a lovely little cafe right around the block that actually makes a proper cup of tea. Shall we? Let's. Over tea, we talked about where our lives had taken us. Even the negative aspects for both of us, shared in this good company, became a cause for laughter. What had seen such a drastic mismatch all those years ago was now a tangible connection between two caring adults. Should we try for dinner together, or are we courting another disaster? I promise I'll try to hold up my end of the conversation. And I promise not to bring my sketchbook. That night was grand as were the many that followed. I told Diana she was completely responsible, which she, of course, denied. 
she was that rare combination of sophisticated and common folk. The lady with the touch of the imp, as happy at the ball game as at the ballet. As not too many months passed, I knew that I couldn't allow this siren to elude me again. So one early evening at our favorite local pub. Diana, these last few months they've been wonderful. (laughs) Quite surprising considering how all this began. Yeah, I wouldn't have believed it was possible. Uh, But, you know, uh, times change. People, they... uh, No, um, well, not everyone else, but not you. um, There you go. I'm starting to ramble. Uh, No, it's charming. Please go on. You exude such confidence. You're so comfortable. It's contagious. You make me feel like a better, more complete person. Edward, you're going on again. Diana, I I have a question that I'd like to ask you. Yes, Edward. The answer is yes. You don't even know what the question is yet. I do, because I was going to ask you the same one. Don't you know? It's November 15th, Sadie Hawkins Day. I can ask you. At this point, our publican David chimed in. I'll see the smiles. This went well, I trust. Yes, Diana has agreed to marry me. I know, she told me yesterday. Edward, sometimes you're a little slow on the uptake. I've been hoping that you would come to this sooner, but I'm sure that you feel as I do. You just have a more difficult time expressing it. I love you, Edward. I think I loved you since the first day, Diana. David, could you please bring us some champagne before we both get too emotional to drink it? As you wish, milady. Even after our engagement, we dated as if we were teenagers, reveling in each day and each other's presence. Diana kept her own apartment, As a modern woman, she valued her independence, and as an only child, craved a certain amount of solitude. It seemed perfect to me, as everything did surrounding my life now that she was a part of it. Sadly, this perfection would not last for long. It was October of last year. The first real sense of autumn in the air had made the city seem more alive after a broiling summer. Diana had come over to my apartment with the Friday Times. Edward, there's an exhibition at a small gallery uptown. Anton Litvak. I I met him briefly while I was in Prague. I believe you'll find his work as fascinating as I do. Well, I don't think you've ever been actually wrong about my taste before, so... I'm in. His paintings are very Gustave Doré in character. Perfect for the Halloween season. Um, uh, what time does it open? At 11am, but if we wait until 5pm, there's a wine and cheese reception with the artist that could be fun. Sounds like a plan. We had some trouble locating the gallery that evening. There was no signage, nor an address in the usual spots. On the second pass, Diana noticed a flyer hanging in the window, so we headed in. It's really... it's weird. It's almost as if they don't want us to find this place. Oh, Edward, not everything is a mystery. Some of these small galleries are just averse to announcing their presence. They want to keep out the riffraff. The joke's on them, though. We found it anyway. Well, where should we begin? Is there a separate section for his work? No, I believe the whole gallery is taken up with it. We can start anywhere. This painting I saw in Prague, it's called The End. That is a awfully somber-looking lighthouse. Edward, I know you better. By standing alone against the sea and its perils, it represents a last hope or a resolute defender of virtue. At least that's what I see. You should put that in a book. I did, actually. It's in my thesis. Is it... is it just me or are those angles off kilter? 
Yes, it's one of Litvak's stylistic traits. It's in the brushwork. He creates a sort of visual dissonance. It's as if the painting strikes an off-key harmonic chord and it, it puts you off a bit. It, it, it is very affecting. I, I, can, I can definitely see why you wanted to come. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> you need to be exposed to some decadence now and again, so leave it to me. The rest of the collection, numbering some 20-odd paintings and sculptures, ran the gamut from portraits to landscapes and still lifes. Even the most mundane pieces all had in common a strange, eldritch quality, as if they were created by someone in a feverish dream. Diana was fascinated, and far be it from me to get in the way of her enjoyment, but it was all a bit much for my taste. It was the way our relationship worked. Beyond love, we had respect for each other as individuals. And what pleased one invariably pleased the other. Near the back of the gallery, a small crowd had gathered near a large painting of a ruined church. That's him, Edward. That's Anton Litvak. Should we go talk with him? Well, you said you've met him before, right? I'm certain he won't remember. It was an event like this, but was held in that ruined cathedral you see in the painting. I wonder if he's ever read in the Adams family. Edward, you will behave around him, won't you? Of course, of course. After all, art is art. You shouldn't tease, darling. After all, you're marrying into this crazy world. Diana, with her usual savoir-faire, strode up to Mr. Litvak as if she had known him for years. As she neared, he broke away from a chat he was engaged in and turned to greet her. Miss Gardner, how wonderful to see you again. Mr. Litvak, frankly, I'm surprised you remember me at all. A gentleman could never fail to remember one such as you. And please, call me Anton. We only spoke for perhaps an hour, Edward. Oh, Anton, may I please introduce you to my fiancé, Dr. Edward Matthews. Dr. Matthews, I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. Mr. Litvak. Anton, it seems as if they're closing up around us. Would you care to come for a drink with Edward and me? We know a charming little pub on 4th Street and I'd love to discuss your work, if you're not too busy. I'm travelling in that direction regardless, but to have a company of two people as yourselves is greater pleasure, so thank you. We left the gallery and headed downtown. On the train, not wanting to interfere with their impassioned chat, I did what most New Yorkers do, stare blankly ahead and avoid eye contact with everyone. I noticed that Litvak had one of those ageless faces. He could have been 30 years old or even over 60. He and Diana were talking as if they were old friends. And when we got to the pub, we took a back booth. In this intimate setting, I was forced to be engaged in their conversation, if only to avoid being rude. Anton Litvak, it turned out, was charming. Mesmerizing, actually. He commanded your attention with his cultured, yet odd manner of speaking. Then the talk turned to art. Miss Gardner, Dr. Matthews, I'm gratified that you chose to come to my humble presentation this evening. The, how do you say, turnout has not been what we anticipated. <laughs> Perhaps it's the weather. It would probably help if the gallery had a sign of some kind. We walked right past it. Anton, to be frank, I believe your work is a might intense for the casual viewer. The understanding of it takes some preparation. Most things worth understanding, or acquiring, do. Diana seems pretty honed into your work, Anton. She has a backstory for every piece. Oh, Edward, stop. You'll embarrass him. No, I would not take offense at such interest from an admirer so erudite as yourself. I am having a private showing in my studio on All Hallows' Eve. It will feature some of my more 
shall we say, extreme pieces? Would you both honor me by coming? We would love to, Anton. Thank you. Diana, I'm, uh, I hate to be a stick in the mud, but we do have Stanley's masquerade party that night. We could go right after, darling. You're usually trying to find a reason to leave one of Dr. Kirby's boring get-togethers anyway. We could go in our costumes. It will add to the atmosphere. I did not mean to interfere with the previous plan. Don't give it a second thought, Anton. Your display will be the nightcap for our favorite holiday. Diana's always right on these matters, Anton. You better get used to it. Sadly, I, I must take my leave now as I must finalize the displays. Dr. Matthews, Miss Gardner, I will see you anon. Good night, Anton. See you on Halloween. I must say, Diana, he is not what I expected. He is very charismatic, isn't he? Say, was that Anton Litvak? Yes. Wait, how do you know him? His studio is nearby. He and his coterie are in once in a while. Sort of an odd bloke, but an interesting fellow nonetheless. His paintings are a bit like Dore, I would say, only more grim. They do have a certain power, though. That's just what I said, wasn't it, Diana? All paintings can't be of bloody sunflowers. Sometimes the two of you just astound me. You can be so provincial. David, I believe the lady could use another drink. Yes, thank you, darling. I must apologize for that outburst. I'm not sure what came over me. Sorry, gentlemen. Apology accepted, but hardly necessary. You know, in all the time we've known each other, that may be the closest to a swear word I've ever heard you use. Think nothing of it. Working here, I've I've certainly heard of us. I'll be right back with your wine. After a final glass of wine, I walk Diana home. Before we get uh, too far along here, uh, I think I should apologize to you. What on earth for, Edward? I had this... This feeling, I, I, I don't know, I guess because Anton had known you before and it, it, it took me a little bit to get over it. I don't know, I, I was pretty surly. Edward, you're so dear. A certain amount of jealousy I find can be quite flattering, particularly to a taken woman like myself. Thank you for caring enough to be jealous. You're amazing, you know that? So I've been told. With that, she kissed me tenderly on the cheek and headed into the lobby of her building, the doorman waving her in with a grand flourish. With Diana safely home, I made the two-block walk to my apartment. The next morning, October 30th, dawned as one of those overcast days that seemed as if someone had covered the city with a gray dome. I went to the office, anticipating the slow day that I knew was on the schedule, but my waiting room was already half full at 9 a.m. I headed into my private office for the day's update from my RN of many years, Ronnie. Dr. Matthews, I'm not sure what to make of today. There's been a high volume of calls this morning, not to mention the walk-ins. Miss Reed, as usual, I, I, I don't know what I'd do without you. One last thing, Doctor. John Collins called. He sounded pretty desperate to see you. Was he still on his meds? He said he was, Doctor. Okay, um, tell Jessica to slot him in for 1 p.m., and we might as well set up a follow-up for him with Dr. Roth. I'll get right on it, Doctor. Oh, and Ronnie, before you go, have you seen my invitations to Dr. Kirby's party anywhere? I thought I left them on my desk. I think you locked them in the drawer so they wouldn't get lost. Right. I opened the drawer to extract the invitations and stared at the strong box, which now took up most of the space within. It contained that awful pistol that Diana had made me purchase. After those medical offices up the street were robbed, she felt that with drugs on the premises that we were a prime target and I should be better prepared. With Diana on my mind, I gave her a call. 
Good morning, sweetheart. Good morning, I guess. Gee, you sound awfully groggy. I didn't sleep very well. I was having the oddest dreams. You know, I've got a few patients outside with the same complaint. Do you remember any of them? It's peculiar, Edward. They were all basically the same, but each one seemed to pick up where the previous one ended. A continuing story, so to speak. There was this strange island, the beach covered in rotting fish, and far in the distance there were these large towers, minarets really, and I could hear voices chanting, but their words were indistinct. Each dream would bring me closer to them, but never quite near enough to hear what they were saying. Whew, no more late night wine for you, young lady. Do you want to cancel on Stanley's party tomorrow? No, don't be silly. I have a whole day to catch up on my sleep. Besides, I have a great outfit that I've cobbled together from that wonderful Halloween shop on Broadway. I can't wait for you to see it. Are you going to tell me what you're going as? Well, I'm sure it's not as good as yours, but I think you'll approve. I do hope we'll be going to Anton's after the party. I can't see why not. I'm very excited to see his other work. It's rare for such a reclusive artist to share his private pieces. Um, Diana, uh, rise to the door. I'll, I'll, I better go. I think the natives are getting restless. That's an interesting way for a doctor to talk about his patients. Will I see you later? I I probably should do some convention packing tonight. And that will give you a chance to rest up for tomorrow. Uh, we have a great day planned. That's probably best. So I'll see you Sunday then. Love you. Love you too. Bye. The day went as well as normal, except for my hour with John Collins. John was a set painter for the theater and had been troubled for years with night terrors. Medication had eased them, but today he was on the verge of panic. I was on a raft at sea. Uh, it was daytime, but the sky was almost black. I could hear singing, but I, I couldn't make out the words. The craziest thing of all was that, that swimming alongside were these, I don't know, well, fishmen? John, we've had this conversation before. Different dreams, perhaps, but the same situation. I think we need to readjust your medications and your troubles will subside. I promise you. Doctor, I know this sounds nuts, but I swear to you, when I woke up this morning, the things I saw in my dreams, they were in the room with me. John, you know that's not possible. What you experienced, it was just a sort of night paralysis. We've discussed it before. We just have to work on the cause. Uh, Thanks, Doctor. Uh, you, know, you know, sometimes it just helps to say this stuff out loud. Uh, that's very often so. Now, John, as you know, I'll be going away for this coming week, but Dr. Roth will be on call, and he'll fit you in whenever you need him. Uh, that's great, Doctor. Thanks again. I'll see you in a week or so. I went home to pack for the psychiatric conference at Brown University. There was a message from Diana. She had gone to bed early, so as to be fresh tomorrow. She sounded much better than this morning, which came as a relief. Diana called early the next day, around 8 a.m. Happy Halloween, darling. And to you. How are you feeling today? Fine, just fine. I slept almost 12 hours straight through, and thankfully with none of those horrid dreams. Edward, I hope you won't mind, but I'm going to take the little ones here in my building out trick-or-treating. No, it's, it's fine. I'll, I'll catch up on some work. Um, I'll see you at 5, then? I'll be ready. I love you, Edward. Love you, too. I spent the day preparing reports for Dr. Roth, who would see any of my patients who needed help while I was away. Just before 5 p.m., 
while donning my outfit for the masquerade. I gave Diana a call to tell her that I was on my way. Downstairs on the street, Halloween was in full swing. And at Diana's, the doorman was in full herald's regalia and ushered me in. Good evening, squire. And to you, sir. Your lady fair sent word to let you up. Thank you, Jameson. Diana must have heard me coming up the marble stairs as I barely got to her door when it swung open, revealing her in a richly scarlet corseted dress, topping ankle-high laced Victorian boots. Good evening. I am Dracula. That is magnificent. But I do hope those fangs aren't permanent. It certainly sells the outfit, though, don't you think? You are the prettiest vampire I have ever seen. How many have you known? Are you keeping secrets from me? I have ways of making you talk. I'm sure you do. As for your costume, with that top hat and cloak, you're either Dr. Jack No, 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 it's uh, Jack the Ripper. Very nicely done. Are those actual vintage clothes? Well, yes, they are. Well, Jack, we need to be going. Could you help a lady with her cape? Jeez, this is heavy. That shop on Broadway only sells quality merchandise. Don't you just love the hood? Well, I love the person under it even more. Edward, how long did it take you to come up with that bit of flummery? Pretty much the full cab ride here. And probably most of the trip up the stairs. <laughs> we should go before you injure yourself thinking. We probably should. At the party, as is usual for doctors, the conversation turned to our work. I felt the need to speak to Dr. Roth regarding my patient, who would be in to see him. Hey, Franklin, I sent a patient over to you. His name is John Collins. Just for a while I'm away, um, he has a long history of dream disorders, and they've really intensified recently. This is really odd. A number of my own patients are experiencing similar symptoms, as well as multiple personality disorders with the requisite derealization. Not to mention that we've had a spike in calls to the helpline. I mean, if I were a bartender, I'd say, it's a full moon. But... Franklin, it's just random, isn't it? There can't be any common medical cause for it. Uh, pardon me for eavesdropping, boys. Can I cut in? Stanley! Oh, great. Um, uh, ever since you're my professor, I vowed your expertise. Help us out here. You, you may be overthinking it. Uh, based on my own patients, the affected have been the artists, uh, the dreamers. In other words, the, the more sensitive souls. In times of stress, as we're in now... These people feel it more acutely. Their loneliness and paranoia come to the fore, and they feel distraught, panicky. But it just seems, I don't know, heightened somehow, doesn't it? I agree, Edward. A bit darker, also. Try to remember that things like this are are cyclical. Uh, Just before World War II, there were outbreaks of mass hysteria. For for goodness sakes, Orson Welles made people think the Martians were invading. (laughs) This is um, fascinating, Stanley, but... Looks like my lady is calling me. I have to be going. On the ride downtown, Diana's exuberance was palpable. Not just for the private showing, but that I would be joining her for it. We shared a long embrace. Diana taking a playful nip at my neck. After all, she was a vampire. We arrived at the address that Anton provided, only to confront another mystery. Instead of a clearly marked entrance, there was a large wrought-iron gate that led to a private courtyard between two buildings. They seemed to stand as sentinels against unwary intruders. The door to the studio was lit by an oddly diffused orange glow. It was certainly in keeping with the spirit of the season. Immediately upon entering, we encountered Anton Litvak. Good evening, my friends. I'm so happy that you have come. Diana has been looking forward to this, although she has been a bit 
under the weather. Oh, Edward, it was just a bad dream. There's no reason to have even mentioned it to Anton. I'm sure he has enough to deal with. I must say, there are many things to prepare on such a night as this. Please step in and let the mood enfold you. In a few moments, I will catch up to you within. The work here was of a much darker character than what we had seen at the gallery. There were portraits of ghouls whose faces were upturned in terror, as if at the hands of some unseen tormentor, and scenes of odd, ritualistic groupings of what could only be described as mermaids, yet without the customary human features, and strange representations of cosmic and planetary events. Edward, these paintings are remarkable. I've never seen such power in his brushwork before. He does seem very committed to his subject matter. Look at this one, the Esoteric Order of Dagon. It's positively frightening in its depiction of some sort of sacrifice. And this small sculpture, what a melange of creatures are used to create this chimera. Dragon's wings and claws on a human-like body and that head. What a monstrosity. That is the great Cthulhu from the works of H.P. Lovecraft. His stories are quite, how shall I say it? Involving? The old gentleman from Providence is a great influence on my more personal work. You know, I'm, I'm going to Providence this week. Could you recommend something for me? As Anton and I began a discussion, Diana continued to peruse his artwork, eventually working her way into a small alcove off the main room. Within seconds after moving out of my view, I heard her call out. Edward! Come in here quickly, you must see this! Diana, isn't that... Yes, my nightmare, to the last detail. Anton, how long ago did you paint this? That is also a Lovecraft piece. It is meant to evoke reverence for the dreamer Cthulhu asleep in his once sunken palace. I saw this in a dream the other night. It's what Edward mentioned to you as we came in. I need to know, when did you paint this? Perhaps one year ago? I'm, I'm, I'm not certain... You shouldn't be so troubled, Miss Garden. It's a classic image. It must have entered your thoughts due to some chance encounter from another source. I mean, darling, that must be it. I mean, it's actually how deja vu works. An image or a, a place, it, it finds its way into your subconscious and eventually it just works its way back out. That still doesn't explain how Anton has a painting of my mental process. I've never seen that image before, until the other night. Diana, you must have seen it in passing in, in, in a film or on a, on a book cover. Anything could have triggered it. I suppose so, Edward, but all the same. Would you mind taking me home? I, I'm feeling the beginnings of a migraine. Of course, darling. A Anton, I, I apologize for our quick exit. I, I understand completely. I, I too suffer from such a malady. Good health to you, Miss Gardner, and hopefully... We shall see each other soon, under more opportune circumstances. Yes, of course, Anton. I'll be fine in a day or so. Thank you for your concern. I'll grab us a cab and get you straight home. Within minutes, I had Diana back to her apartment. As we parted, she embraced me as if she couldn't bear to let go. I appreciated the emotion, but I was troubled by her demeanor. Diana, do you want me to stay here for a while? What I truly need for now is a sleep not plagued by nightmares. After seeing that painting, I'm not sure I can tolerate another night like last night. I'm a bit frightened by all this. Darling, is it at all possible for you not to go to Providence? Diana, I understand your anxiety and... 
I believe you're you're just overreacting. At this point, your mind is is self-reinforcing the, the, the causal chain as you see it, when it's actually the reverse. I suppose you're right, but having my dream images appear in someone's artwork, I'm sorry. I know it's your business to know how the mind works. It's the nature of this one that's different. It's like I was living it. Well, look, if you want me to stay at home, I, I will, but... There are some lectures I'll have to cancel, and... Edward, to- you needn't go on. I know how important this week is to you. I'll be fine after a good night's sleep, I'm sure. That would be my prescription. Um, Diana, everything will be better in the morning. Do, do you want me to call before I go? <laughs> That's all right. But please call me from Providence tomorrow. I need to know that you're safely there. I should get to the hotel no later than 2 p.m. I'll speak to you at 2, then. Edward... I've never loved anyone as I've loved you. It's important to me that you know that. Diana, you show me that every day. What brings this up? Just my headache, I guess. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'll see you in a week, sweetheart. Please, get some rest. And if you need anything, give Ronnie a call. She'll take care of it. Good night, Diana. Sleep well. The next morning, I struggled over calling Diana before I left for Penn Station. The painting of Anton's had truly rattled her, and Diana was generally unflappable. I needed to know if she was feeling better, but it it was more important to let her sleep. I did call my office to alert Ronnie that if Diana had any further issues, we had her prescriptions on file. On the way to the train, I stopped at a comic book store near the station. It also carried an assortment of horror and science fiction books. While I browsed through the stacks, the clerk ambled over. Is there something you're trying to find? You know, I, I'd like a, a solid collection of Lovecraft stories. You're in luck. This, this one just came out. It's got all the famous ones, uh, plus a pretty good bio. Cool cover, too. Yeah, Cthulhu. We've met. Hey, if, you, if you're getting into this stuff, there, there's a book due in next week. It's all about people who actually believe in this as a real religion. You know, as a psychiatrist, I should probably pick that one up. I might as well get the, uh, the full picture. Uh, please order one for me. Uh, here's my card. I guess... You'll call me when it's in? You got it, Doc. Before heading into the labyrinth that is Pennsylvania Station, I again debated over calling Diana. My heart went out of my head, but she didn't pick up. I left a brief message and boarded the train. It was rather odd to see Diana so agitated, but she usually bounced back quickly from her episodes. So I would wait until speaking with her this afternoon and make a judgment on staying the week. With all my conference work prepared, I decided to delve into the Lovecraft book. According to the opening biography, he spent most of his life in Providence, and that quite a few of his letters and manuscripts were at Brown University. As I was staying just off campus, I made a mental note that if time presented itself, I would take a look. The stories were florid, wildly overwritten, but undeniably creepy. One of the tales, by title at least, dealt with Cthulhu. Lovecraft's descriptive phrases embodied the strange qualities exhibited in Anton's work. In the case of the little statue, that was plucked straight from the story I was reading. Further along, one set of characters finds an island remarkably like the one in Diana's nightmares. Diana must have read this, perhaps in college, and and just forgotten about it. The imagery was so precise, it couldn't have been anything else. I could hardly wait to call Diana and tell her that I had found the source of her dreams. Generally, if you can isolate the cause, 
You can deprive it of its power. As soon as I arrived in Providence, I called Diana. She picked up on the fourth ring. Well, good afternoon, Rip Van Winkle. Did you intend to sleep the day away? I'm sorry, Edward. I've been struggling today. Did you call earlier? Well, I left a, a message this morning, but uh, more importantly, how are you feeling? My head is throbbing as if it's about to explode, and I've only slept for perhaps an hour. Well, listen, after you hang up, go to the clinic. I'll call Ronnie, have her work up a prescription for you. Frenolin, it's an older drug, but it should do the trick. Will it help with nightmares? I had that dream again, and this time I saw much more of the island and a glimpse of the people doing the chanting. Honestly, in a way, I'm glad you had the nightmare again. I think I have it figured out. Why, thank you, Doctor. I'm always so happy to be part of a scientific experiment. Will you be serious? Almost the exact scene you're describing, not to mention Anton's art, is directly from one of Lovecraft's most known stories. You must have read it or read about it, and with Halloween upon us, the memory just resurfaced and triggered your first dream. Then seeing Anton's paintings, it's no wonder you're feeling out of sorts. That does make sense, but I'm not quite sure seems a bit more involved than that, not to question your expertise. I will follow your advice and try that prescription. Besides, just having a chat with Ronnie might be the ticket. At one time, wasn't she having prophetic dream? Don't get me started on that. You know as well as I do there is no such thing. I agree, but we dreamers need to stick together. Some random event probably began her dreams also. I wish that I could end mine. If you need me, I'll come home on the next train. No. Edward, I won't have it. Truly, it's just a migraine. I've had them for years. Stop being overprotective. I'm a big girl now. I know, but... Allow me to be concerned. You're my girl. The last time I checked. Edward, when you become this sloppily sentimental, I think it's time to end this conversation. Alright, but you make sure you go see Ronnie. Of course. Au revoir, mon amour. I immediately called Ronnie to tell her that Diana would be in this afternoon. She mentioned that John Collins left a message overnight, but she'd been unable to reach him so far today. I thanked her and asked her to call me when she had spoken to him. With my schedule open until a dinner meeting, I decided to investigate the Lovecraft papers at the university library. The manuscripts, being entirely fictional and all in his own crabbed penmanship, were of little interest to me. Except for a small number of illustrations and settings of creatures that were nearly identical to Litvak's work. Anton was certainly enamored of this man's writing, perhaps to the point of obsession. But this was not uncommon, as I discovered while reading some of Lovecraft's correspondence. One brief marginal note from a letter regarding cult activity sent me to the information desk. After some old-fashioned cross-referencing, I left with a book on bizarre religious beliefs and headed back to my hotel. After dinner, I called Diana, but receiving no answer, I assumed the medicine had put her out for the night. I picked up the cult book, intending to read for a bit just in case Diana returned my call. I turned on the television, an old bad habit of mine, while reading, and the default station was the local public access channel. An oddly coiffed, white-haired preacher was droning on about resurrection. Never is it to be thought that man is either the oldest or the last of Earth's masters, and that the common bulk of life and substance walk alone. They walk serene and primal, undimensioned, and to us unseen. They exist as a foulness in lonely places where the words have been spoken and the rites howled at their seasons. The wind gibbers with their voices and the earth mutters with the consciousness. 
They bend the forest and crush the city, yet may not forest nor city behold the hand that smites. Man rules now, where they ruled once. They wait patient and potent, for here they shall soon reign again. The audio portion of the broadcast had an annoying, penetrating hum that was giving me a headache. So I turned it off and tried to go back to my reading. But I couldn't seem to concentrate on the page. I put my book down and eventually drifted into a fitful sleep. The next morning, I was jolted awake by the ringing of the phone on the nightstand. Hello? Dr. Matthews, I'm sorry if I woke you. Oh no, it's, uh, don't worry, um, what's this situation? John Collins was killed early this morning. What happened? He was shot by the police on the Times Square platform. Apparently, he rushed to push a number of people onto the tracks. When the police officers approached him, he began muttering some sort of chant and then pulled out a large knife on them, and they were forced to shoot him. Okay, okay, um, I'm sure the NYPD will be calling us, get his charts together, and give them my cell number. Do you know if he had been to see Dr. Roth? No, he hadn't. I checked with Dr. Roth. I mean, John was mildly depressed, not psychotic, and, and certainly not dangerous. I mean, he, he seems to be doing better. By the way, Doctor, Diana was in for her prescription. She was not her usual self. Those migraines must be taking a toll on her. She looked almost hungover. Did did she mention her dreams to you? She did, as a matter of fact. I can't imagine having to face the same nightmare every time I went to sleep. That would really creep me out. Ronnie, I, I know it's a lot to ask, but if you can just please keep an eye on her. It would mean so much to me. I was going to do that anyway. Diana's one of the good ones. We can't let her get away. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you later. It was too early to call Diana, so I went down to breakfast. As I sat down, a young doctor I had met at last night's dinner sat next to me. Say, did you watch any TV last night? Um, not really, no. There was this crazy preacher on the public access channel. He was ranting about spiritual rebirth, and then it got really strange. You know what? I, I saw some of that. It was a little odd, maybe, but not, not too strange. You didn't see the end, then. He pulled back a curtain, and behind it was a carving of some kind of fish man. That, he said, was a symbol of the esoteric order of Dagon, whatever the heck that is. Then he started chanting in a language I didn't recognize, and it faded to black. I'm I'm sorry I didn't see that. It sounded as if we should get him on the couch, huh? Dagon? You mentioned he was talking about Dagon? Yeah, I'm sure. Did you ever hear of it? It seems to keep popping up. I I, I better get moving if I'm going to host that lecture. I'll, I'll see you inside. With that reference to Dagon rattling around in my head, I gave my prepared talk all the while itching to get back to that cult book I borrowed from the library. As I reached for the book, my fingers found the center pictorial section, and I began to flip through it. On a page headed Dagon, there was a photo from 1954 of a Joseph Simic, a Czech cult leader who demanded suicides from his followers, and then vanished mysteriously. And except for a Van Dyke beard, he was the spitting image of Anton Litvak, it couldn't be him, obviously, as Simic would be more than a hundred years old. 
but the resemblance was so close, he might be a relative. My ringing cell phone interrupted my detective work. Good afternoon, darling. You sound very chipper today. Edward, those pills were wonderful. My headaches are gone and I finally had a good night's sleep. Thank you so much. Uh, don't mention it. Comes with the service. Wait, aren't you going to work today? Have you forgotten? I took a week's holiday. No offense, dear, but with you away, I can indulge in some of my stranger passions. I don't think I want to know. It's nothing like that at all, you prude. Just some shopping, maybe a film or two. The prosaic things that you seem to feel I have no interest in. I will be going to Anton's this evening. He called to see how I was feeling and mentioned that he had just received an older piece of his from a gallery in Spain that he thought I would like, as well as a fabulously old book he was very excited about. Well, Diana, would you mind asking him a question for me? I I was looking through a book today and I came across a picture of a guy. He must be a, a relative of Anton's. Can you find out if you ever had an uncle uh, named Joseph Simic uh, about... It must have been 60 or 70 years ago. If he did, it, honestly, it might be a tough question that, that Simic was a notorious cult leader. I've always been good with tough questions. You above all should know that. Thank you, Diana. You know, I may write an article about this, and it could be helpful. I, I, I guess... Oh, you're going out tonight, so I'll, I'll speak to you tomorrow? You couldn't stop me if you tried. Good luck with your research. You have a good night, sweetheart. Over the next few hours, I continued to skim through the book on odd religions. 400 pages in, I found that I was drifting into a self-perpetuating loop of doubts. Was I missing something larger here? Or was I just thrusting my worry about Diana's health onto an unrelated subject? The world was a rational place, for the most part. Even in its irrational moments, it followed certain rules. This mental deep breath helped to clear my mind. Wednesday dawned serenely, with the evidence of an overnight rainstorm. As I woke, I I thought of it as symbolic of a cleansing shower and believed it to be a good omen. My reverie was broken by the phone. Have you seen the news this morning? Edward, just a few blocks away in that horrid hotel on St. Mark's. They found a murdered woman. Whoa, 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 slow down a second. You're going a mile a minute. She was tied to the bed with peculiar symbols drawn on the wall above her, and her heart had been cut out. She had apparently been dead for at least a day or two. Uh, Listen, I I don't mean to change the subject, but did you get a chance to talk to Anton? I spoke to him last evening, Edward, just after the story broke. It was strange. First, he turned very withdrawn and then went ranting on about psychopaths using the fiction as a pretense for violence or some such. He said that although Simek was a fairly common name over there, he had no relatives with it. Sorry, Mr. Holmes. Why don't you come home and solve our local whodunit? You know, with all that's going on, I, I probably should. No, you don't. I have a few things I need to prepare for your homecoming first. I don't know if I like the sound of that. You're becoming very mysterious lately. Just a bit diabolical, perhaps. I'll talk to you later. Oh, darling, before you go, is it proper for me to double up on those pills? I have a slight aura happening, and I'd like to nip it in the bud. No problem, but no wine, okay? Certainly, Doctor. Ciao. With nothing on my schedule until late afternoon, I return to the Brown University Library hoping to deepen my understanding of the cult mentality. Diving into the shelves, I found to my surprise 
quite a number of volumes on what was labeled the Cthulhu cult. One in particular, Necronomicon Truth and Fiction, showed promise. This cult only began after Lovecraft's 1925 tale, The Call of Cthulhu, and could be seen as a sort of wish fulfillment, or an early version of a role-playing game. The cult had been implicated in dozens of bizarre mutilation killings throughout Europe. Many of the victims were the cultists themselves, with the speculation centered on murder-suicide. Survivor interviews provided little clue to motive, excepting fanaticism and depravity. Not shocking, there followed a long quote from our old friend Joseph Simic. The photo accompanying it was a more standard portrait shot, which betrayed none of the madness that must have lived in his mind, but instead bore the look of a senior college professor. Although this picture was dated 1936, he seemed much older than the photo dated 1954. An upsurge of strange behavior in August 1983 could be tied to the Order of Dagon. He believed that the cult's leaders convinced their flock that sacrifices to the Dark Ones at the top of their noxious pantheon would bring about a changed world for all, with eternal life for some. An informant had smuggled out photos of the interior of that compound in Los Angeles, where over 200 souls had taken their own lives. To date, the mainstream press had never been able to mount a compelling reason as to the whys and wherefores. But here, in this slim volume, one picture told me all I needed to know. On the largest wall of their great room, contained within an ornate gilded frame, was a canvas carrying the image from Diana's nightmares. A second photo, of what appeared to be a large oaken table situated beneath the painting, was dominated at its center by a duplicate of the statue of Cthulhu from Anton's studio. The author then posited the first in a series of wild speculations as to the true nature of the cult and its beginnings. He suggested that both the esoteric order of Dagon and H.P. Lovecraft had tapped into the same source, perhaps a mass delusion or gestalt, or was it possible for a parallel universe to exist where such creatures dominated and only certain sensitive human minds would find themselves in a cosmic harmony across the spheres? This seemed the height of absurdity to me. Nothing in my experience as a rational man, let alone a psychiatrist, would grant this much credence. That wouldn't stop others from acting out on their delusions and with hideous consequences. Although Anton may dismiss my questions with similar reasoning to my own, his entourage might be true believers. With that in mind, I quickly put down the book to call Diana. I wasn't able to reach her immediately, and after a number of attempts in a slight panic, I called Ronnie at the clinic. Ronnie, I, I was hoping to catch you. Just finishing up, doctor. I really need your help. Would you please check on Diana for me? I, I can't seem to reach her on the phone. I was about to call you, actually, after we closed. She was in about an hour ago, looking to fill a prescription. She looked disheveled, and I've never seen her without being all put together before. It's like she forgot that she had already picked up her meds. I gave her a sample pack to tide her over, and I was going to head over there on my way home, actually. Please tell her to call me as soon as she can. It's very important. What's going on, Edward? You can always talk to me. Listen, I, I know, but I, I'm not sure myself yet. Uh, I need to wait for more information. I just appreciate it if, if you called me yourself after you see her. Anything I could do to help.
count on me. Thanks, partner. It was barely a half an hour later when my phone rang. Edward, I just left Diana, and I've got to tell you, it's pretty weird over there. What do you mean? Well, for one thing, she wouldn't let me in. She was pretty mad that I had stopped by. She accused me of spying on her and told me to leave. Before I did, though, I noticed an odd group of people hanging out at her place. Wait, what do you mean, odd? How they were dressed, mostly. A guy in a robe and one couple in particular. It looked like they stepped out of an old movie. Oh, and they were all charged up about some big book. And then- Hold on a second. Oh, Ronnie, Diana's trying to ring through. Diana, I've been trying to reach you. Edward, did you send your nurse over here? Well, yes, I was worried about you. There's nothing to worry about. I'm fine. Better than fine, actually. Diana, please do me a favor. Please don't go to Anton's until I get back. Why on earth not? Just for me, please. I'm trying to sort it all out, but I, I think he knows more than he's telling. You're actually serious about this, aren't you? I don't want you going over there. How dare you? I'm a grown woman, and I'll come and go as I please. You have no hold on me. Darling, what has gotten into you? Edward, I think it's time we ended this conversation. It's just not productive. Goodbye. As most couples do, we quarreled from time to time. But I had never heard such disdain from Diana before. Not even when we first met. I knew that to make this right, I would have to come home. I picked up Ronnie's call again. Uh, I don't know what happened, Ronnie. Uh, she's more upset with me than, than I thought. I'm so sorry I put you in the middle of this. Don't give it a second thought. If you hadn't asked, I was going to go over there anyway. Listen, I'm taking the first train out in the morning. Something's not right with her, and, and I can't do anything about it from here. I have, I have one seminar that I have to do, and, and I can leave any time after that. Do you want me to keep an eye on her? Uh, yeah carefully. Let me know if she calls or comes in. I'll be discreet. With that, Diana tried to ring through again. Diana, are you alright? Edward, I'm awfully sorry. I had no cause to take you to task. You were concerned and I should appreciate that and not fly off the handle. Am I forgiven? Um, of, of course. Uh, like, um, don't be upset, but I'm leaving the conference early tomorrow and I'm coming home. That might be best. I, I've been in a rough patch the past few days and having you nearby might put me right. Please, just for me, take it easy tonight, stay in, watch a movie, just veg out. I don't seem to have the mental energy to do much else. Okay, I'll, I'll call you again later and I'll see you in the morning. It'll be okay. I love you, Diana Gardner. Yes, I know, Edward. Goodbye. These mood swings of Diana's were new to me. She was always a centered, grounded woman with the appropriate emotional response for any situation. And that, combined with her new proclivity for lucid dreaming and the increase in her migraine attacks, I was starting to be concerned about a neurological issue. Dr. Matthews, this is Hanley's. I just wanted to tell you that your book came in early, and it looks like a doozy. What makes you say that? Well, the cover has a naked chick being sacrificed to some kind of giant monster, and the blurbs are insane. The truth about cult murders and rituals, or, or, or this one, 2012 Mayan apocalypse, it's coming, and here's why, and hell, the back is worse, there's, there's a photo of a dead girl that looks like a lion ripped her apart with a caption, change demands sacrifice, the pre-release cover looked nothing like this, <laughs> I don't even know if I can put this on the shelf. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll be back in town tomorrow, I'll, I'll pick it up as soon as I can, thank you for calling. The clerk's description of the book sent a wave of repulsion through me. 
It was as if the cover was speaking directly to my fears, and it drove me to pull out my laptop and try to get a look at some of the interior pages. I hoped to gleam some new information that might assuage my trepidations. After some false starts, I found the publisher's website, where I was able to sample some of the great old ones, The Changing. The anonymous author claimed that with the proper rights, a race of beings from another dimension would return to dominate mankind, except those few acolytes whose fervid beliefs brought about the event. These high priests would be selected by their receptivity to contact with the other side, and rewarded with leadership roles, plus a kind of immortality, but one that must be renewed with constant and periodic murder. Intellectually, I knew that this was nonsense, but I couldn't help sense the gnawing dread rising within me. The next shattering revelation was a photograph labeled First Leader of the Esoteric Order of Dagon. It was dated 1925 and was yet another image of Joseph Simic. However, my breath was caught in my throat as I read the fine print etched beneath his picture. Anton Litvak. It was him. In the rational world that I had inhabited to that moment, this was not possible. He would have been born in the 1860s. But there he was, staring back at me with a malevolent sneer. I still held out hope that there was a sensible explanation, but my fear for Diana was overwhelming my reason. I phoned both Diana and Ronnie, but only left messages as neither picked up. My intention was to persuade Diana to spend the night at Ronnie's so that Anton, or whoever he truly was, would be unable to contact her. I could only hope that the Diana I spoke to this time was the person I loved. I called Diana again at 8pm, and this time, she picked up. Edward, what is it this time? You sound so distant. I, I, I was worried about this. Listen, would you be willing to spend the night at Ronnie's? I'm concerned about your your med levels, and, and she could look after you till I get back. I was just on my way out. Anton has an ancient tome at his studio he wishes to show me. Please, darling, don't go down there tonight. Just wait for Ronnie to get there. Not again, Edward. Not this dreadful rubbish about cults. Anton says it is you who is trying to control me, and I won't have it. With that, she hung up. I knew now that my best hope was Ronnie. So I tried her phone again. About 30 minutes later, she returned my call. Edward, I'm sorry I didn't call you back quicker. I went over to Diana's like you asked, but she wasn't at home. I figured it might be a good idea to wait a little bit, and I'm sitting in a little cafe across the street. Diana's back, and there's been a parade of odd people going in and out of her place. I think they've all left, but I can't be sure. I think something really screwy is going on over there. So as long as the waitress will keep serving me coffee, I'll stay on guard. You know, sounds crazy, but maybe you should call the police? You know, I'm afraid you might be right. But it's, it's got to be a last resort. Thank you for this, Ronnie. And, and please, be careful. I'll call if anything happens. Speak to you soon. At around 11, with no contact from Ronnie and repeated unanswered calls to Diana, I went down to the hotel bar and used their phone in case she was screening my calls. When Diana picked up, I could hear other voices in the background. Diana, are you alright? Why wouldn't I be? Has Ronnie been there? You didn't send her here again, did you? 
I'm quite busy. I have some people over. I thought you were tired. What I've grown tired of is this ongoing inquisition. Anton's not there, is he? It's none of your concern, so please, stop calling me. Diana, I'll be coming home in the morning, and we'll straighten this out, I promise. As you wish. With nowhere else to turn, I called the police, hoping to get them to check in at Diana's. I tried to explain the circumstances without coming off as a raving crank, and I asked them to call me back whatever the time. I was half asleep when the phone rang at about 2 a.m. Dr. Matthews, this is Officer Carter, NYPD. Uh, my partner and I just left Miss Gardner's, and, and frankly, there, there's nothing out of the ordinary going on over there. I know it must seem like that, but uh, what about... Doctor, before you get yourself in trouble here, uh, Miss Gardner had to be dissuaded from trying to get an order of protection against you. She says that you're obsessed with some strange ideas. I told her that we would talk to you and, and clear things up. Everything is fine there, Doctor. Why don't you just get a good night's sleep? It'll be better in the morning. I I can't imagine so, officer. I'm sorry to say. I still hadn't heard back from Ronnie as I took the 5 a.m. cab ride through the shrouded in fog, still waking city. It struck me as a scene from a horror film, lacking only the shambling zombie horde. What awaited me in New York, I couldn't be sure. But I had to believe that I could bring this all to a brighter conclusion. I tried to reach Ronnie from the station, but I got no answer. The train ride home was the longest three hours of my life. I couldn't shake the feeling that Anton had set this in motion years ago. That in Diana Gardner, an artistically oriented person with no family ties, he had selected the perfect victim for a ritual murder. What they were using to entice Diana, I had no idea. She had never shown anything but good judgment in any situation, but Anton had somehow gotten through her defenses. My mind teemed with possibilities, but nothing about this made sense anymore. The only thing that I knew for certain was that Diana was in grave danger from their fanatics, even if she herself didn't realize it. As the train rolled on towards New York, my thoughts grew even darker. They must have killed that girl at the St. Mark's Hotel. It fit the pattern. But was John Collins involved? Or was I just trying to imprint order onto chaos? My dearth of sleep finally took over and I drifted off to be awakened by the conductor at Penn Station. Normally, Ronnie would have been in the office by 9 a.m., but there was no sign of her. I tried to phone her, but there was no answer. I called Diana, or at least I tried to, but her phone didn't even ring. I felt a numbing chill and decided that consequences be damned, I had to go to her. Fearing the worst, I went to my desk and unlocked the strong box that contained the gun. That awful pistol Diana had made me purchase was now going to be her salvation from death at the hands of that madman. It seemed so ungodly heavy that day, as if the steel had taken on the weight of my fears. I loaded the clip and threw everything into my coat pocket. As I turned to leave, it struck me that even with last night's events, I should phone the police. With Diana's only a block away, I would most assuredly arrive first, but it would help to have them there. I called the local precinct and directly spoke to the death sergeant. I asked him to send someone over. I ran back out into the early November morning, knowing that a horrible chaos was about to engulf us all. But I had to focus on the task at hand, saving the woman I loved. Reaching Diana's building, I brushed past the doorman and headed up the stairs. 
Each turn of the four flights heightened my anxiety. Could I do what needed to be done? As I reached the penultimate landing, I became aware of odd sounds that I couldn't identify, but that nonetheless filled me with a dread. Each step upward brought them clarity until coming to her floor, I could make some sense of what I was hearing. There were two voices, one of which was Diana's, engaged in a ritualistic chant that I recognized from the Lovecraft book. But there was a third voice, or more accurately, a third sound, an almost liquid approximation of human speech, in a call and response pattern with the chanting, it bore directly into my innermost mind, causing me to stop in my tracks. No throat of a creature born on this earth could produce that sound. My worst fears were realized. These things existed. And somehow, Litvak and his cult had found a way to breach the barriers and contact... What exactly? Awashed with terror, I knew then that this world of ours was not as I had known it to be, floating serenely in a calm, universal sea, but instead tempest-tossed and beset by beings of unimagined power and evil intent. The life I had led just days before seemed as a dream and were replaced by a waking nightmare. Overcoming my brief inertia, I ran to her parlor door, my feet barely touching the tiles. As I reached for the knob, I was nearly overcome by nausea as a noxious odor, redolent of stagnant water and decaying flesh, oozed over the transom. Bursting in, what I saw filled me with horror so great I am hardly able to describe it. In all my thoughts of what I would encounter, most involved Diana in peril from the cultists. Nothing prepared me for the sight of my fiancé, covered in blood, a curved dagger in her hands astride the now lifeless body of Anton Litvak, his head almost severed from his torso, a large book across his chest. Oblivious to my presence, she continued to chant, the echoes of the otherworldly third voice fading as I walked uneasily into the room. As I cast my gaze deeper, on the large living room table was Ronnie's mutilated body, bound and gagged, her chest torn asunder as if by some great beast. Sickened, I screamed to Diana in any attempt to break the spell. She turned to me, but the light was gone from her eyes. The usual calm assurance replaced by a manic glare, the likes of which I never beheld. Diana, stop this! Do you know what you've done? Of course, Edward. Anton showed me through his art and his teachings. The cycle is beginning. The stars are coming right again. And within a year, the world you knew will be gone. No, Diana, please. I beg you. I've been chosen, Edward, above all others, to ready man's world for the transformation. Anton didn't realize his place in this, but I was shown everything in my dreams, and it changed me. You have a role in this too, Edward. Join us. She stepped toward me, chanting as she came, with a dagger held chest high, both hands gripping the hilt. I pleaded with her to stop, but she wasn't hearing me, but was instead following some inner command that impelled her forward. Within arm's length now, she lifted the knife above her head, blood dripping to the floor. She lunged at me and I fired, striking her full in the chest, the impact driving her back and over the table where she lay unmoving. In abject terror, I ran from the building. I don't remember how I got back to my apartment. 
The nature of what I saw and did has blotted it from my mind. I sit here as I sat that awful night, which seems eons ago, peering out the window at a changed world, awaiting my fate and the fate of mankind. That's why I put this story to paper, in the hope that someone else will learn what I've come to learn, that something malignant is growing within the mind of man, and perhaps with that foreknowledge, the horror that befell me will not spread to others. Physicists have suggested that parallel universes exist in theoretically infinite numbers. Is there a world perhaps next to our own that is glimpsed in moments of inattention or seen in the dreams and visions of the sensitive and artistic? Lovecraft may have unknowingly tapped into this plane of reality and considered it inspiration, but Litvak and his ilk purposely tried to change reality, so I afford him no sympathy. I celebrate that his death may provide enough time for humanity to learn the true nature of his position in the cosmos. When the patrol cars came that night, they had come to me as the person nearest to her. And when they asked who would have wished her harm, who could have done this, I had to reply. I could. <laughs>